The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all in your little square and such. (laughs) Good morning, Scott. (laughs) And maybe, you know, maybe I, you know, with uh, some of these mandates leaving in March, we might actually see each other in person. That would be the first time in a couple of years. I don't think I would recognize you (laughs) in person. I only only recognize you. I would never recognize you in 3D. Some interesting news as we're, uh, you know, obviously trying to come out of a global pandemic and inflation is an issue. Uh, New rates, uh, inflation rate announced this week, uh, sitting at just over 5%. What are your thoughts as we try to maneuver our way out of this pandemic? Yeah, it's, uh, it just seems to be a little bit like a runaway train right now. And uh, I know that, uh, a few weeks back, or I guess about three weeks ago on the show, we talked about inflation and interest rates more from a, a macro and generic perspective. So today I thought uh, it would make sense to follow this up with a, with a more micro perspective, referencing specific examples uh, of the impact of both rising interest rates and increasing inflation and uh, what, those have, uh, what effect those have on household financial issues. Because certainly there's a lot to think about as we are, you know, starting this this particular trend. You know, we often talk on the show about the importance of sound financial planning advice. And one of the many critical aspects of comprehensive financial planning is examining a client's debt uh, management and cash management situation overall. And that's just something that we do automatically, uh, no matter what the, the, you know, the respective goals are. Um, So how an individual or a couple decides to manage their cash flow and service their debt greatly affects their ability to successfully address their many other lifestyle and and financial goals and priorities. So let's start with a look at um, at what would happen with, for example, a $1 million mortgage, uh, whether it's a new mortgage or a renewal. And, And by comparing the payments using increasing interest rates, uh, you know, some of our listeners may be carrying a, a former rate of even, you know, one and a half percent in some cases. Um, and, you know, remember when that was possible, when, you know, a, a sub two percent rate was what, you know, what was the going rate at the time. So here's the impact of a, of a range of rates using a five year fixed term. Uh, the one one and a half percent would have been uh, roughly $4,000, just, just under $4,000 per month in the way of payments. A 2.5% rate would be $4,500. And moving just a little bit through the scale, a 3.5% rate would be almost $4,900. 4 would be $5,600. And 5% would be over $5,800. A five and a half percent rate would take it over sixty-one hundred dollars a month, and um, you know that's roughly that's roughly twenty-five hundred dollars higher than that one and a half percent rate that some people still have uh, in their in their existing mortgage. Hey, Gary. So, yeah, 
so, you know, you know, this is a good point. It's so funny when we're going through these numbers and the thoughts of a five and a half percent interest rate, it seems like, oh, that's so far stretched. There's no way that doesn't happen. And, you know, we've all lived through this. We've, we've got experience of seeing five and a half. In fact, we would have, you know, we would have given anything to have a five and a half percent interest rate at one time because. Oh, you know, absolutely. To have a seven, eight, nine percent interest rate was commonplace, you know, back in when we were getting homes. And I think everybody's right. so far removed from that now, they have a hard time even suggesting that it might go to five and a half percent. You know, and that's why I thought it would be important to talk about this because, because, uh, and, and actually, if you think back and Don, you'll remember, uh, and I remember this clearly, uh, April 1st of 1994 through to June 30th of 1994, interest rates went up 3%. Mm-hmm. And and that was uh, that was a very very dramatic situation at the time, and so you know it, it can happen, and uh, you know we'll, we'll certainly the proof is in the pudding. We'll see see what happens over time, but if we if we look at a, a five hundred thousand dollar mortgage with with a rate of three percent, which is basically what's available right now, give or take a, a few basis points for a five-year fixed term. So monthly payments in that case would be $2,371. That same five-year fixed mortgage at 6%, so just doubling it. And to your point, Don, you know, that can happen so easily. Um, that would be almost $1,000 a month more than the 3% rate. And that's and after-tax money. That's not just- That's after-tax you know, money, yeah. yeah. And this, this $1,000 per month then would have to typically come from or be rerouted from other priorities, such as just normal cash flow, you know, contributing to investments, uh, home renovations, maybe education funding, uh, or just, you know, emergency reserves. So $1,000 a month for many people is, is a very, very significant uh, increase. You know, there's a, and again, to your, your, your comment, Don, there's an entire generation of homeowners who have only experienced, say, from one and a half percent to 4% mortgage rates. And at the same time, witnessing a, a dramatic escalation in home values, and not to mention the unhealthy, what I feel is unhealthy dynamics of multiple offers, holding offers, and the, in quotation marks, over-asking phenomenon, which we're, we're in the midst of now still. So in the, in the greater Hamilton area, including Burlington, housing sale prices as of January, 2022, are up over 35% as compared to January, 2021. And 13% of that occurred just this, just in January alone. Wow. So that's, you know, that's incredible. And, and that's going, and we see people now already who are heading towards the end of a term of a mortgage term, looking to try and blend with, you know, with the concern that interest rates are going to move forward. And by the time their their mortgage does actually come to uh, come due for renewal, uh, the prevailing rates at that time are, are just going to be higher. So, you know, I, I know that uh, in the mortgage business, we're seeing a lot of that right now. Yeah. And, and just um, to put that in perspective, like when you see a 35 percent increase in a housing price, like that's unprecedented. That's insane. Like that would mean. If you have a million dollar home now, which by the way, I've seen million dollar homes that are just small little bungalows these days in, in yeah. the Hamilton area. That means in, in, uh, in three years, three short years, it's worth two and a half million. Mm-hmm. Like that's, 
That's crazy. Like yeah. houses do not go up like this. And what they can do though, is they can fall to go, go back to kind of the average, which is normally the case. Yeah. And we've, we've seen that before. And, you know, so, so what's contributing to this? Well, obviously past low interest rates, you know, historic low interest rates, uh, almost, there's almost 50% fewer homes on the market right now. Um, and you know, that's simple, uh, economics, right? Lack of supply causes pent up demand. And, um, and then obviously increases the pricing. I think the COVID factor has had a little bit of, of, uh, of part to play here and certainly the migration of people we've talked about this before from outside of Hamilton you know from the the metro Toronto area moving this way and so on that also has uh, has driven the the prices up so contrary to what what some people believe that the housing values are you know are housing values destined to continue to go up you know you already said it Don uh, no the answer is no well you know many listeners uh, who have watched the the housing market over over many years already know um, just like the stock market, growth is not a, always a straight line upwards. So if we take a closer look at historical housing market fluctuations, there's been actually, there's been a number of major downturns over, over the years. Uh, 1982 to 84, there was a 6% drop in, in uh, prices. 1990 to 92, a 10% drop. 1995 to 97, a 2.5% drop. And then, of course, in 08 into 09, there was a 4% drop in the, the values of homes. So, so, yes, housing values can and do go down in value at various times. So those that expect housing prices to do nothing but, but go up, um, you know, that's all fine until it isn't. Because we, we know we know that it's it's simply not going to happen on a on a steady basis. A lot of longtime homeowners remember that that 1980-81 period on where, you know, and Scott, you certainly remember this, I'm sure, when mortgage rates approached 20%, you know, many homeowners had to walk away. And I remember that clearly, had to walk away from their homes, their mortgages, and the banks were in the foreclosure business in a big way. Um, you know, I know ourselves, we purchased our first home at that time. And uh, we were we felt very fortunate because we were able to assume an existing mortgage on the property at 12 percent. And, uh, you know, we thought we made out like bandits <laughs> and 12, 12 percent now. I mean, can you imagine if if suddenly within the next year and I'm not suggesting it's going to happen, but can you imagine uh, if rates went up to 12 percent? I mean, it would it would just it would just so, absolutely decimate a lot of people's planning. So in a nutshell, Gary, we got a couple minutes here. What? what would you tell a client that's looking at a house right now? What, what would you, what recommendations would you give them given the environment we're in? Well, I think, you know, if people are selling and buying in the same market, I guess one could make the argument that, um, you know, they're, 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 they're getting back what they're, what they're overpaying, but, but really, and I think a lot of real estate agents would acknowledge too, that, that the market is so inflated right now, everyone's overpaying everyone's overpaying for the for the value and a, a lot of what's affecting that are the dynamics that I referred to earlier you can't get near a house if you're looking for a house uh, without just going in with a highly inflated offer and you don't get a chance very rarely to do a home inspection all your due diligence and so on so I think that uh, it, it's it's important to be careful right now and um, and again, there's no inventory, so the the options are are uh, are really limited, you know. And what's what's one could argue what's similar now to the early 1980s, uh, when when inflation was really taking off and, and housing prices were going through the roof and so on, uh, government overspending, 
rising oil prices, which, you know, we'll still have to see how that, that translates, uh, inc- rising wages and, and uh, you know, you, that, those were the ingredients of a very challenging time. And I think what we have to look at is, are there any parallels with today's situation? And only time will, will tell. It's interesting. Um, it's I, interesting. You're talking about uh, interest rates and what we're so used to now and a whole generation used to the low interest rates. I remember, as you guys were talking about the, the, the period of the early 1980s, and my parents saying that their mortgage was around 6% for a home that they had purchased in the mid 60s. And everybody thought mm-hmm. then, oh, my goodness, if you could get a mortgage at 6%, that would be absolutely incredible. Now it seems yeah. high, high from where we're sitting. It's bizarre. Uh, we are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. DonFox.net to find out more. And you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here and we're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management 905-972-7420. Uh, talking about, uh, you're going to talk about retiring, Don, and, and I guess what pile of sugar you go after first, where you start to pull the money out of. I guess that's pretty important. It's absolutely important. The kind of the order of withdrawal, it's, you know what, to be honest, it's so much easier. Right now we are in the, you know, the final weeks of RSP season, if you will, that ends March 1st. And saving money is hard enough. Okay, a lot of people are not good savers. But if you are a good saver and you build up this pile of assets, and that could be a you know a multitude of assets from you know a rental property kind of going with what Gary was talking with real estate to non-registered money, which is just money that is you know after-tax money sitting there invested somewhere. It could be an RSP. It could be a tax-free savings account. It could even be in your private corporation. Now, yeah, I guess in some cases it actually could be your house right now too. And, and we're seeing that a lot right now, as Gary was just mentioning about the massive increase in house prices. There's a lot of retirees right now saying, you know what, I'm just going to sell the house and rent. And I've worked out the numbers on that. And depending on age, that is a very viable option these days where it was not, say, three or four years ago. It would actually be far more expensive. So that is another one on the table of say, okay, let's work this out. Because, uh, you know, some people say, okay, well, I'm 75 years old. Well, a million dollar property and if you're 75, you live to 95 or even 100. They can ha- they, you can have a fantastic lifestyle and, and eat away at that principle. So that's another conversation, and which isn't in necessarily in, in this article I was reading. But it was interesting. Back um, on February the 12th, so not long ago, there's an article written by a former actuary of Mor- Morneau Chappelle. Uh, and basically, he went through this whole situation, which assets should I draw down first? And I thought right away, I gravitated to this article says, because that's always, that's as, as hard as it is to save, it's harder to figure out where do you take your money from on a most tax effective way. So they looked at this and, and like I said, there's really the different asset classes. 
One was RSPs. Well, the nice thing about RSPs is, of course, they grow tax-deferred. So what I mean by that, you don't have to pay tax on as they grow, but you do have to pay tax eventually. And when you start to cash these in, you have to pay tax on them. Um, and 71 is the latest. The year you turn 71, you must move these funds to a RIF, Registered Retirement Income Fund. And so the year you turn 72, you have to start drawing an income from your RSP, which then has turned, now turned into a RIF. Uh, and the interesting thing is you can't add more to an RSP. I actually had one person last week say, you know what, um, it seems like my RSP assets have been drawn down a fair, but I wouldn't mind adding more. Well, that's not the point. You don't want to add more to it anyway. Um, it is a big tax. It's a big pot of money that you haven't paid tax on, basically. There is the TFSA, the tax-free savings account, which really is the best thing since sliced bread, in my opinion, is where after-tax money goes to. So you've already paid tax on the money, and it now grows tax-free for the rest of your life. In fact, any funds that you pull out of it are tax-free. And then there is the non-registered funds. And those are, that's after-tax money. And the income is taxed every year. Unlike the RSP and the TFSA that the money is not taxed if, if it's left in the plan, you have to pay tax on this interest income or dividend income or capital gains. So quite easily, if you're retired and your income's under 50,000, so let's say both you and your spouse have an income under 50,000, interest income would be taxed somewhere between 20 and 24%. Capital gains is about half. So if you sell pieces of that pot, um, the capital gains tax is between 10 and 12. Interestingly enough, though, if you have Canadian dividend income, there's 0% tax on dividend income if your income is under 50,000. So those are the three major pots that we, we talk about. And I guess you could also say, well, what if you have a, a private corporation? That's a, a whole nother kettle of fish, but it is a similar to a, a corporation is similar to um, yeah, like an RSP to a certain extent, where you don't pay quite as much tax to pull the funds out because you have paid some tax when you first had it in the corporation, and now you have to pay the, uh, the, the remaining tax when you start pulling it out. So that's another dimension in the whole scheme. Where do I take this retirement income from? So if you ask an accountant, an accountant will often use the three Ds. And I think, Scott, we've uh, talked about this before. Uh, it's divide, deduct, and defer. So the three Ds, you can divide your income. So if you're, if you and your, you know, if you have a spouse or common law, fantastic. There's areas where you can divide income and particularly pension income can be split. Um, Canada Pension Plan is another one that can be split. And I went through this just again this week where one spouse was getting 200 a month approximately and the other spouse was getting about a thousand a month Canada Pension Plan. You have to go to Service Canada and ask. For, that's a physical split. You literally have to get that split at, that, at source. You can't do that on the tax return, which would make a big difference. It's far better to have two people earning 50000 a year than one person earning 100000 a year. Um, in fact, actually, in that example, it's about a 7000 per year tax savings. Okay, so it's, it's, it's massive. Um, so again, so that's dividing. Deducting, of course, anytime you can get a tax deduction, go for it. Um, I would also suggest tax credits are important. So we have to watch um, age credits. Are, they're, they're limited by your income. So the higher your income, the less age credit you would get. Uh, pension credits, 
both you and your spouse are entitled to a pension credit of $2,000. It is. It works out to about $416 per spouse savings per year in your pocket. Uh, this is where, you know, you, we've talked about on the show before, where if you, even if you don't need the money, have your RSPs paid into a, put some of it into a RIF and have a RIF pay out $2,000 per year. And that way you at least get that $2,000 qualifying for that pension credit. So extremely important. So that's divide and deduct. But then there's the defer. And this is where I would often disagree with the accountants because we're in a, we're in a tax situation where the more money you make, the higher the tax bracket. And we've talked about many times that if you leave your RSPs right to the bitter end and you pass away, right now, if you earn uh, anything over about $222,000, you're paying 53.53% tax. So you may not be around because if you passed away, okay, you're not paying the tax per se, your estate is paying the tax. End of the day though, your beneficiaries are getting a lot less money. So you do have to look at, okay, what about my income now versus perhaps the estate? You know, right now, if you're, if you're actually trying to maximize your income, it, there's, I guess, maybe you look at the accountant and say, okay, I am going to just defer it as long as I can. But does that still make sense? So this is where it came, comes down to, I guess, in a long drawn out way, where, we, where do we take the funds from? Do we take it out of the TFSA, non-register, or RSP? Those are usually the three pots. So this example in the paper here was a client, let's say, and, and uh, it was, she was 62 years old, single, had $300,000 in RSPs, and 300000 in non-registered investments, no TFSAs, no pension. She would qualify, of course, for a Canada pension plan and her old age security. So I thought, okay, I can live with this. This sounds like a not typical situation because most people would, you know, may have our, um, um, wouldn't have 300,000 in non-registered. They may have it in TFSAs, but let's just go with this example. And so they thought using their calculator, which there's so many calculators out there. Um, this one here is, I went online and found it. It's, uh, you know, the website is perc.ecm dot life calculator sorry lifeworks.com uh decent calculator asked a lot of questions but still left a few things that should be looked at a lot more carefully and we'll, we'll get to that so in this it said that this person can make fifty-three thousand of gross income per year using the old age security canada pension plan and it will be indexed by inflation they also said we're going to use a five percent rate of return so it seemed pretty simple. And okay, well, which one do you go? Well, they had two scenarios. One was drawing down half the non-registered in proportion and half the RSPs each year. So fairly straightforward there. So you have, if you're taking out, say, 10000 a year each, you take half of it from the non-registered, half of it from the RSP. Easy. Or option two is, draw down the non-registered first and save the RSPs, defer the tax on the RSPs until later. Now, because this person would not have been a high tax bracket, and this is really important part of this, every situation is so different. When you start assuming all these variables, 
to try to say, okay, how many people have this situation? I would say very few. But in this example, that turned out that um, option one was the better one. You uh, would end up with a higher income after tax for a longer period of time. And it turns out that, and again, likely the estate would be a lot a lot less to worry about also. Um, I just wondered, I'd, I'm, I'm going through that and the math just didn't make sense to me. So I, I kind of say, okay, I, the old age security currently is $642.25 a month. The Canada Pension Plan, if you're at your maximum, is $1,253.59 a month. But if you're going to get it three years early, you're, you're going to take a 7.2% haircut for every year you take it earlier. So instead of getting 15,000 a year, you're only going to get about 12,000 a year. Also, if you're getting 5%, when does this person die? It didn't actually say. It looked like it might be 90 um, on this graph that they used, in which case, without with just simply the CPP and OAS indexing, they could get about $58,000. So I said, okay, what's well, maybe interesting, that works. Don, sorry, Don. Yeah, no, not I'm just a problem. Say quickly, what, what's interesting too is when we look at uh, the option of taking CPP at 60 versus 65 and that 7.2% factor per year, uh, the break-even age is 74. So what that means is every year that a person lives after age 74, it would have been better to wait. Absolutely. So, you know, the, so we, these are the things that we look at on a regular basis, of course. Oh, and this is where I'm, I'm trying to get to it. This, it seemed to, any kind of article that had, you know, a quarter of a page on a newspaper on how, which is the best way to draw down. I'm thinking, okay, there's a lot more that goes into this than about a quarter of a page. There are so many more variables that, and this is dangerous to me because they haven't taken into account many variables. First of all, you can't start old age security until 65. And it didn't actually say that. So I'll assume it started at 65, which means you had to draw down more money out of the other assets. It said it was indexed all the way through retirement. Well, if you're going to take 33,700 from investments, by the time they hit 70, at only two and a half percent inflation. And as you mentioned, Gary, who knows where the inflation is going right now? It's a bit of a runaway train, but even at two and a half percent inflation, that means at 70, it's 41,000 you have to take out of investments. At age 80, you're taking 52,000 out of investments. And at age 90, you're taking 67,000 out of investments. So based on those numbers, this person ran out of money way before hitting age 80, if it was fully indexed. There's no way that works out. The other is they're using uh, non-registered money. I don't understand why they wouldn't want to maximize the TFSAs. That should have been a no-brainer in this example. Um, and again, as to your point, Gary, what about deferring the Canada Pension Plan and maybe even deferring the old age security? For somebody that only has $600,000, that's not a lot of money these days. You think most pension plans are worth well over a million. So by deferring the CPP, you're getting all that indexing there. So it might make a lot more sense to, in, um, to defer the CPP, possibly the old age security. Um, what about a major purchase? This assumed there was no cars bought in all those years. And so there's all these assumptions made. To me, it was like, it's kind of like the old joke where, you know, you have a, an engineer and an economist stuck on, a, on an island and all they have is canned food. And they're trying to figure, how do we open the can? And the engineer is saying, well, we strike this at a certain <laughs> angle against a rock and it, and it will open up the can and bingo, bango, we'll have food. 
And then the economist says, well, let's assume we have a can opener. Okay. <laughs> it, it's all these assumptions are, are not even close to what really happens in reality. It didn't take into account sequence of return risk. So I, I went through all these and I thought, you know what? The good thing about what we do for a living, Gary, is we take all the information of our client and we do not assume all those things. There are always assumptions you have to make. But with our LPP program, our life, our, our, our program that does the same idea, we take into account inflation, sequence of return, uh, major purchases, income splitting. There's every variation. And all these programs are financial guesses to a certain extent because life changes. Like who would have thought that we'd have 5% inflation right now? That was never in the assumption two years ago. But now we can plug that in with the higher cost of living right now and maybe put a different one. So a true financial plan is very dynamic and is very tailored to your situation. And so if you have that, if the listeners have that, fantastic. That's what I, I good for you. But if you don't, make sure you talk to your financial planner and get a very detailed financial plan so that you know which pot of money you should pull the funds from first. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or call them at IG Private Wealth Management, 905-972-7420. Another break and we're coming right back. Hang on. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. Donfox.net to find out more, or you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905 972 7420. Obviously, we're talking about inflation and uh, those numbers coming out this week. Uh, Gary, you got some strategies to help us battle and combat inflation. Yeah, yeah. You know, Don, uh, Don asked earlier in the show, you know, what, what sort of advice would we give to people in terms of uh, that are thinking about buying homes at this point in time and so on? Just one thing that uh, I wanted to, uh, to mention about that. Uh, so I, I did say earlier that 1990 to 92, there was a 10% drop in the, uh, the, the value of homes. And, but at, at that point in time, there was, there was a five, just over a 5% inflation rate. So here we are today, 5.01, I believe, or 5.1, I should say. And um, so what does that mean? What does that mean to the, you know, the near future value of homes? Well, it's difficult to say, but there are some parallels. So, um, so what do we do? What do we do as financial advisors to, to assist our clients in terms of managing debt and cash flow in times when, uh, you know, when, when interest rates are on the cusp of rising and, uh, and obviously inflation is, is really getting away from us, at least at the current time? Well, planning, of course. Uh, that's, that's where the planning really comes into play. You know, Don talked about making assumptions for various things. You know, when we sit down with people and we, we, we gather the information and we map out uh, what makes sense in terms of strategies and so on, uh, all of the assumptions that we use are discussed and agreed to. And, and that gives us a great starting point so that we're not just pulling things out of the air. Um, so 
what we do too is we build in, in terms of inflation, we build in um, devaluations in the future value of money in, in order to make sure that the goals are, are uh, as realistic as, as possible. So here's a simple example of, of a, a basic recurring expenditure that, that people have. Uh, so let's say a client tells us they, they wish to acquire a vehicle new or used every five years. That's part of their, their, their thinking at any given point in time that they, they would like to do over the longer haul. So how do we provide solutions for an expense like that? Well, by building it into the overall plan to begin with so that it's interactive with everything else that is on their plate as far as uh, you know, their wish list and, and things that they want to accomplish. So let's assume that client A acquires a vehicle this year, 2022, and plans to pay $30,000, just to, for a simple example. Wants to do that every five years going forward. So let's assume uh, an ongoing 3% inflation rate for illustration purposes, and the client is a 40-year-old. Well, at age 40, they're spending their $30,000. Age 45, what we have to build in, of course, is that inflationary period. So at age 45, that 30,000 would then become 34,800. At age 50, for their next purchase, $40,200. At age 55, 46,800. And at age 60, $54,000. And then I just, I just took it to age 65 for the purposes of illustration, and that would be $63,000. So basically, $33,000 more in 25 years for the very same acquisition or, or purchase. So that's why it's so important to, to build in, uh, you know, various interest rates, reasonable interest rates, and it's very important naturally to, to build in inflation. Um, so in addition to, you know, that lifestyle expense more than doubling in just the 25 years because of inflation, we would then also want to factor in any financing, uh, financing or uh, leasing costs if they're applicable, or the opportunity cost of paying cash should that option be, be chosen. Um, and as you can see, the importance of incorporating uh, such an expenditure into the overall plan uh, over time is necessary. It's, it's essential in order to provide accurate and, and beneficial financial plans. So I, I wanted to highlight too, just very quickly, that, um, you know, I talked earlier about, about uh, inflationary periods and so on, but there were six periods over, over since the 70s, really, there were six different periods where interest rates were in the double digit range. So, you know, when that happens, obviously, um, interest rates are going to follow. So people that that don't have any any debt or any obligations, feel that geez, if I can get a an 8%, a 9%, 10% uh, rate of return on a on a fixed term deposit, well, that's, that's a great option. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but let's keep in mind too, that the cost of living is, uh, is, you know, is going to be significantly high. And, uh, you know, people that have obligations are the ones that, you know, that are going to have to deal with, uh, with repaying at a, a very significant level. Um, you know, most people have a goal of being debt-free at retirement. I think, Don, you'd agree that's, that's sort of on, on people's wish list. You know, by the time I retire, I, uh, I want to be debt-free. I, I want to have my mortgage paid. I want to have everything addressed. It certainly makes so, it easier, that's for sure. Yeah, and that, that planning process really has to begin long before 
that that time comes up. I mean, that's why we do what we do as well, Don, right? We, we make sure that, that we start planning at the earliest possible time to, uh, to make sure that, that those goals are achieved. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or call them at IG Private Wealth Management. The number is 905-972-7420. Going to take a break here. We're going to finish up moments from now. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson and Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or call them at IG Private Wealth Management. And that's 905-972-7420. You know, Don, if my uh, wife heard you say this, she might not be too happy with you. (laughs) But uh, uh, yes, marry for money. That's the financial advice here. (laughs) Well, there there you go. We're done. That's our six-minute segment, right? That's it. That's it. First of all, how is everybody's Valentine's Day? (laughs) We've all been happy. Thank goodness we had it before we brought up this topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? It's uh, interesting. Um, yeah, we've all, all three of us have had long marriages. So that's also a, a good financial plan, by the way. Not getting divorced is a great financial plan. Um, but interestingly enough, top economist shares the surprising benefits of marriage. And you know what? You know what 2022 is going to be? It is the year of marriage. There is such a pent-up demand. There's going to be more weddings this year Mm. than any year since 1984, Scott and Gary. That's interesting. That's fascinating. It'll be interesting to see if a baby boom follows all of this. Uh, Good point. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't know. uh, Baby boom too. Echo. (laughs) (laughs) So the economists are saying that. What are the engineers saying? <laughs> well, well, honey, let's assume we get married. <laughs> what are the marriage counselors saying? <laughs> well, talk about a boon in that industry. This is a, an industry that needs some help right now because all those convention centers and hotels, etc., that are in wedding shops and dress shops and suit shops. All oh, there's a pent up. There's so many people that want to go peacocking, if you will, and put on some new duds and and show off in a group. Like this is long overdue and we've gone through this pandemic and things are starting to open up but you know we got to plan this out but it's interesting you know marrying for money actually does work and it could be common law i suppose but right away the the obvious one is now you have two incomes and you share expenses so right away being single and living in your own place is far harder to do and so by doing so you get to save more money every month and serve safer retirement live a better lifestyle than if you were single so okay uh, in this article it's not claiming that it's money is not the only deciding factor um love transcends money so i guess this is you know the point scott that your wife would probably agree with but love transcends love transcends a lot of things dog (laughs) true enough (laughs) true enough but put it this way if it came down to two people and you had to pick one and everything everything was 
pretty similar between the two, except one person earns twice as much as the other. In this article, don't flip a coin, just go with the one that makes more money. Okay. And it's amazing the lifestyle change. And also there's some a lot of other things like Canada pension plan survivors. If if one of the spouses passed away, you can get a survivor pension for life. You don't get that if you're single. And you know, 41%, it's interesting actually, you almost have to assume, and here we go back to the economy that a lot of marriages will not work. Like the stats in the US are 41% of all first marriages end in divorce or separation. Mm. In fact, 60% of second marriages go south. And believe it or not, 73% of third marriages that start with forever and end with see you later. Okay. So, so you have to factor in those losses into your financial plan. Is it really worth marrying for money, Don? I'm not sure. It depends on who, I guess, has the money. Um, I thought the old saying, I thought the old saying was first you marry for love and the second time for money. Well, apparently uh. it's only that applies for 40% <laughs> because 60% we're going to make it. Um, so it's a interesting thought, but really it's when I, I, I have a situation and by the way, prenups are extremely important or, or uh, cohabitational agreements. Like we can't stress that enough. We've done whole shows on this, but a case in point, I had a client of mine and he made 120,000 a year. His wife made 25,000 a year. She was into artsy type of stuff and it could be role reverse, could be opposite um, genders. We had a plan and they're going to retire. Okay. At 65, but now it, they've ended up uh, divorced. And he now has a new woman that makes 100000 a year. Plus, she's got money, $400,000 saved, as he has. So they have equal assets. They have two houses. Now this conversation is totally different. We're now saving an extra 1000 a month. They're going to retire earlier. The increase in lifestyle is massive. So anyway, this is a not new news. It's kind of like, okay, it's the elephant in the room. We've seen it before. We've watched people... Uh, I, I guess uh, golding is, is probably the, a bad term for it. But at the end of the day, if you have a choice, uh, marrying for money isn't all bad. All right. There you have it. And should we put a uh, disclaimer on this or a number for marriage counseling of any sort for anything we've started now? Uh, that's the next show. We have been planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or call them at IG Private Wealth Management, 905-972-7420. Thank you, gentlemen. Another great show. We'll talk to you next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.